This Women's Agenda podcast series, The Leadership Lessons, is supported by Salesforce. The rise of women's sport in Australia over the past five years has been incredible. There have been record crowds, big brand sponsorships, historic wins, victories on equal pay and the broad championing of equality. I'm Kate Mills, the host of Women's Agenda's new podcast series, The Leadership Lessons, which is supported by Salesforce. In this episode, I'm joined by Mary Constantopoulos, a woman who's helped lay the ground for women's sport to be where it is today. Mary is a lawyer, sports advocate, and proud owner of the Ladies Who Media Stable, including Ladies Who League and Ladies Who Legspin. In this episode, she shares her thoughts on the evolution of the women's game and her hopes for the future. Now, Mary, your voice is probably better known than my voice, of course, because you do a lot of podcasts, a lot of interviews, a lot of commentary for sport. Where did the passion from sport come from? Uh, I played all sorts of sports growing up as a kid. I wasn't very good. I was a pretty okay swimmer, but over my years, I did water polo, basketball, netball, hockey, softball, plenty of others as well. And I just loved being out there with my friends and participating. But when it came to rugby league, uh, my love of that really came from my family and particularly my dad. My dad is a mad Parramatta supporter and that's something that he's unfortunately passed along to me. And I would watch my dad and my two brothers watch all the games on the weekend. And I remember wanting to spend more time with my dad and brothers and decided that the best way to do that would be to start watching rugby league as well. So I have plenty of fond memories as a kid of watching footy with my dad and brothers and going to Parramatta Stadium and cheering on my team. And it's really just developed over the years from that very, very small seed. I read that, that you'd never stopped at that point to ask where the women were in sport. So what changed that for you? I mean, was there a particular moment or a particular incident which made you to think, well, hold on, where are all the women? When I started Ladies Who League, it's really important to share that at that point, it was all about encouraging more women to get involved in conversations about rugby league and promoting the women that I could see. And at that point, the women that I could see were the women in the administration and the women in the media. It wasn't until until I started sort of digging into that space that I realised that Australia had a women's rugby league team called the Australian Gillaroos. And I realised that if I, as a passionate rugby league fan, didn't know who they were, then there would be many others out there just like me. So I started there sharing their stories. And I think it comes back to you can't be what you can't see. And at that point, I simply couldn't see any women playing rugby league. And I'd never turned my mind to the fact that perhaps it was a sport that I could play. I just never thought about it. And what did the Gillaroos say when you started writing about them? The thing about women in sport is that they seem to be very grateful for the coverage and very grateful that people are interested in sharing their stories. But when I found out that, you know, five, six, seven years ago, women were still, you know, selling raffle tickets to be able to raise money to go and play and and there were incidents like that still happening, I thought, gee, how inspirational are these women? They're They're not being paid appropriately. They're playing because they absolutely love it and they're juggling family, friends, study, all sorts of things. Um, So that playing for the pure love of it was something that I found really inspiring and it's something I find really inspiring to this day. You know, when you talk about that awakening moment where you think, where are all the women in sport and, you know, why aren't I writing about them? It's almost like a, a form of, uh, it's like, you know, if you think about a form of face blindness, you know, where there's something right in front of you and you can't see it. Do you think that it's because the attitudes we have about men and women are so deeply entrenched that we d- often don't ask ourselves those questions? Certainly, Kate. And I think when it comes to rugby league, particularly when I started watching it, you know, in the mid to late 90s, it was very much a very blokey sport, a a sport for the boys. I I don't think I even considered whether women could play rugby league, even though there were women playing the sport at that time. 
So you mentioned that Ladies Who League. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And again, where did the idea come from? Where did the inspiration come from? Ladies Who League is, for want of a better word, a media organisation that I started seven years ago to encourage more women to get into conversations about rugby league. And at that point, it was very rugby league. But over the years, it has sort of grown to encompass uh, many, many more sports. At the time, I was working at a corporate law firm and I just moved into a new team. And I met the team and there was this wonderful, wonderful woman named Simone Wetton in the team. And much like everyone else I meet, she realized very quickly and very early on that I had this big passion for rugby league. And she said, Mary, you should really do something about this. And I said, oh, what do you mean? And she's like, oh, you know, what about a blog or, you know, starting to write some articles? And I said to her, I don't think so. No one will really be interested in what I have to say. And then Simone said to me, I want you to go home and I want you to think about it and come back to me tomorrow and and tell me what you think. And I did go home that night and I realised I had nothing to lose. And the next day, Ladies Who League was born. I wish I could remember where the name came from. I love the name. People seem to love the name. And I'm so glad that Simone encouraged me all those years ago to um, to do something with my voice. Do you think that women in particular need mentors potentially more than men? I mean, that's a very striking story. You know, someone who believes in your voice and pushes you to find your voice. Absolutely. And Kate, I look back over my career and I've had plenty of mentors, both male and female. And I think it's just those people that are potentially a little bit older than you, have had a couple more experiences than you and can give you the encouragement that you need and just the support that you need as well. I never would have started Ladies Who League if it wasn't for Simone and just that extra encouragement. And, you know, in my dealings today, I have plenty of young people that come to me and ask me for advice and ask for help. And I reach out and and get back in touch with as many of them as I can. And and sometimes they're surprised. Oh, gee, you know, you've gotten back in touch with me. And I said, look, I'm happy to help you um, as much as you need. But always my one condition is to make sure that those young people pay it forward and do the same, you know, 10 years into their career when they're more experienced, because I think we can have a really positive impact on the next generation coming through and being a more helpful and I think kind society. So you talk about that paying it forward. You've got a special way of doing it through buying them coffee, haven't you? Absolutely. So you do, you, you, you buy your fair share of coffee, but I remember that um, my mentors bought me my fair share of coffee. So um, yeah, we're, we're, we're passing it on through coffee, I think. You mentioned there, of course, that you worked at a corporate law firm. So that's essentially you had a legal career and you still you still work um, as a regulatory lawyer. What drew you to the law? So from as long as I can remember, Kate, um, as a little girl, I, I always wanted to be a lawyer. And I think it was because I have a love of learning. I have a love of words and the subjects that I was best at during school were English and I loved history and, and all those sorts of subjects. And I also really love helping people as well. And during my legal career, I was very involved in pro bono work and that was something that, you know, gave me great purpose. And I think the law is all about helping people. And, and that's what drew, drew me to it in the first place, as well as enjoying a challenge. It's like with your passion for sport and also being drawn towards law, you know, you've been drawn towards what, what might be considered very traditional male enclaves. I mean, I know the law is changing. Your observation on the law, is it, is it changing enough? I mean, I know that now more than 60% of, I think it's more than 50% of graduates are female that come in. But again, when you look at the top in law firms, it's quite a different picture. So Kate, even when I was a young graduate going through, that seemed to be the trend as well in that women were overrepresented when it came to graduates, junior lawyers, all the way up to senior associate level. And then it was just at that very top level, at that partnership level, that it sort of seemed to switch. 
And I think law firms are working really hard to change it. But I think as a society, we need to think about, you know, the barriers preventing women from taking that next step up in their career. And I think COVID has actually been quite useful in that sense, because as people were getting a real idea of not only the work responsibilities that people have, but the other responsibilities around them, whether that be caring for, you know, elderly parents, caring for children and, and juggling our lives around our jobs. I think it's it's made it starkly obvious just how much women do away from their work. And I think that's one of the key challenges that needs to be addressed before we see women taking up those roles in, in the higher echelons. So we see that social change out there. And do we need more than that? Um, and I'm thinking around things like quotas, like targets, for example, particularly in areas like, say, politics, for example. Kate, my view on this has changed over the years. So initially, I, I wasn't a big fan of quotas. I didn't think that that was the way to go forward. But my view is that we're simply not getting there fast enough and that, yes, quotas would be helpful because there are many, many women that can do those roles in the upper echelon. And I think once they get the opportunity to do that, that sort of opens the floodgates and and shows other women what's possible and shows other men as well the positive contributions that women can make. I always find it really hard when a woman gets appointed to a very senior role and she suddenly becomes the spokesperson for all women. It's certainly not the case. We need more women in those positions so that it becomes normal. Now, you're no longer in the corporate law firm. You moved a few years ago to the NBN. So when and why and and what's what's good about that role? What lights you up about it? So I moved across to NBN just over three and a half years ago. I was initially sent on secondment and loved it so much that I decided to stay. There were a number of things that drew me to NBN. It's funny, when I mention that I work there, people often, they've always got questions about working at NBN. But what I can say with my hand on my heart is that at NBN, there is a group of people there that were very, very passionate about, you know, delivering this major infrastructure project for our country. And I think about, you know, people in rural Australia whose, you know, internet connections, you know, were not suitable for the lives that they wanted to lead and how NBN has changed that. I love the work that I do. Uh, NBN is a highly regulated company. So I love the strategy around that and working with the business to make sure that they can achieve all their goals. And it's also a really flexible organisation as well. And I felt really supported with all the work that I do away from work and I have a team that's really interested in it and really supportive of it. So that's another part of the job that I really love. Broadly then, you know, you've had a really interesting legal career. You're working at NBN, which is a really interesting organisation. And you started off as a corporate lawyer and then you've got Ladies Who League. What is the secret of your success? I mean, what motivates you? Kate, to be honest, I think a big part of it is that I just love sharing stories. And I think the women that I interview and the people that I get to speak to have the most inspiring stories about pursuing a purpose and doing what you love. That always motivates me. I remember a couple of years ago, there was a week where I was just, you know, very busy. And I think pre-COVID, we all had those weeks. I had several events, I had interviews, I had stories to write. And I remember um, I had to interview a young woman named Claudia Bell, and she plays rugby be seven. And I really wasn't in the mood to do that interview this, that afternoon. I was quite tired. And when I spoke to Claudia, she spoke with so much passion about sport and, you know, how it made her feel and the opportunities that it had given her and the hope, you know, for the future that she had about young women 
being able to participate in sport all the way up to the highest levels. And I just found that so inspiring that it um it lit that fire again for me. So definitely sharing those stories. Um, I guess the other secret is that um I still live at home, although not for much longer. Uh, so I have a mum and dad at home that are very, very supportive of me. And I, I joke, I call my mum my, my wife at home because um she makes sure that I'm well fed or my clothes are washed and, and that really gives me even more time to be able to go out and, and do what I love. She's your mummager, as I often say to people. Yes. Half, half manager, half mum. You said earlier, you used a quote, you cannot be what you cannot see. Why doesn't female sport get as much airplay, as much money, etc.? And do you see that changing? And it, it's a similar question to what I just asked you about law, effectively. I think we really have come a long way in the last six years. So I'll go back six years ago and there weren't professional competitions established for many of our female sports. And now I look across the board and we've got the women's big bash in cricket. We've got the women's rugby league competition. We've got the super W in rugby. Super netball continues to go from strength to strength. And we also have the women's AFL. And there can be evenings where you're sort of sitting there flicking the TV and women's sport is on television. I remember last year, actually, there was a moment where I think the Diamonds were playing in a, in a competition. Uh, Casey Badger was a not Casey Badger, Belinda Sharp was about to referee her first uh, NRL game at the highest level. And I think the Australian women's cricket team were competing at the same time. And I actually had to give the remote to my partner so he could decide what we were watching because I just found it so overwhelming that there was so much um, women's sport on television. But I think, Kate, a big part of it, and people often ask me, what can I do to change the game? I think the biggest thing for people is to get their bums on seats and also to turn their televisions on because the one thing that people cannot... Um, disregard our ratings and, 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 you know, people in the stadiums. And I think, um, you know, given what we saw at the ICC T20 Women's World Cup final in March, where over 86,000 people went to watch the Aussie women's cricket team, you can't deny that interest. Um, so I think it is changing. I just wish it was changing a little bit faster. Yeah, you know, it's interesting and it comes back. I'd like to come back to that same question I asked you about, do you need quotas? Like if you look at sports like women's, like women's tennis, for example, where at the big end of town, women and men get paid the same. Mm-hmm. It's effectively, that's a, that's a quota. It's, it's external regulation that comes in and changes it. Do we need to see more of that? I think so, Kate. And if I go back to the cricket example, I think cricket is a sport that is really leading the way in this space. I mean, I know AFL seem to think that they have led the revolution in women's sport, but there have been a lot of sports that have been part of that journey. And something very interesting that Cricket Australia did in the lead up to the ICC T20 Women's World Cup if the Aussie women finished in the same position as the Aussie men, that they would get all the same money. So Cricket Australia, um, you know, made up the gap effectively. So the Australian women won that competition and they received the same prize money as the Aussie men will receive if they win that competition. And I thought that just spoke volumes. I really did. And I think there's opportunity to do more of that. There are lots of issues that face um, a woman in your profession. You know, you're a female commentator on sport. You know, when, when I grew up, there were no female commentators on sport. It just didn't exist. Do people take kindly to female commentators in sport, particularly on social media, for example? Most of the sports that I'm involved with have really made me feel part of the family. And I speak really glowingly of rugby league and cricket, which are my two favourites. I have 
always very much felt included and part of those families. Social media is a tricky one and it's actually taught me a lot of lessons over the years. Perhaps I've created a little bubble around me, but I have a lot of people around me cheerleading and supporting and and that's exactly what I like to do for them. You do get the occasional troll, um, but over the years, Kate, I've really learned to deal with it. Um, Certainly comments that were made, you know, that are still made now affect me far less than they did five, six years ago. Is that because you've grown a tougher skin? Definitely. And I think, Kate, as well, I've just put some strategies in play to make sure that those words don't impact me as much. So I remember my first very serious social media experience where there was a pile on that lasted, oh, it was probably about a week. And I had to turn comments off because the abuse was just getting to a point where I was really struggling with it. My family were also really struggling with it. And I had a conversation with um, my coach. I have a coach and, and we tried to devise some strategies that would help me going forward. And I think one of the things that I kept coming back to was um, she asked me why I made the comments that I did and why I behaved the way that I did. And we came back to the fact that it was very much aligned with my purpose. And if I am doing things for the right reason and in a way that is aligned in my purpose, then that sort of makes the criticism a little bit harder to handle. And in a way, I sometimes now feel that if I'm getting that criticism, I'm sort of poking in the right direction. Also, I'm a little bit more selective in who I allow to look at my profiles and, you know, interact with me on my pages. I like to sort of think of social media as my home. I wouldn't invite people in my home to make negative comments about me and disparage me. Um, So I certainly don't allow that on my social media anymore. For more women to be represented in sport, either as a commentator like yourself or actually on the field, what do you think the critical challenges are in this decade? I think one of the critical challenges, to be honest, Kate, is pay. And I think that's a really important one. If we look at the Australian women's cricket team, they are currently ranked number one in the world. And our Australian women have always been very competitive at the top level, but it's no surprise how much success they have had since becoming full-time professional athletes. And now what those women do is they compete, they play cricket, and and that is their job effectively, and they are paid appropriately to do so. And we've seen the result of that. I often find it so interesting when people criticise competitions, like say the AFLW, because, you know, it's not as good as the men's or they're not scoring as many points as the men. The men are full-time professional athletes, whereas the women are not. They have far less time to devote to their craft because they're juggling plenty of other things. So I think that's crucial. And also, Kate, I think the standing of the position that women are in when they compete in sports. So I'll give you a good example. Um, The Rugby League's women's competition, and there are four teams in the competition, and one of those teams is the New Zealand Warriors. Now, for the Warriors to compete in that competition this year, and remember, these are not full-time professional athletes, they are already in Australia now doing their two-week quarantine. They'll compete in a five-week competition and obviously will be away from their jobs and their families for that period. And then they'll go back to New Zealand to do a two-week quarantine. So whilst the men have been quarantined and, and doing difficult things away from their family, that is effectively their job. For the women's game, there are very different considerations that need to be thought of. Yeah, it must be really hard for women in that situation, you know, where you're you're not a professionally paid athlete, although you want to be, and you're balancing that with a, a job, a part-time job, a flexible job. Job. How, how do those women manage it? It's genuinely because they love it. They absolutely love their sport. And I find that so inspiring. I'll share a cheeky story. I remember a couple of years ago, um, I went to a sporting club that had a men's team and a women's team. And the male athlete was asked about his challenges and he spoke about injury and how hard it was to come back from injury and the support that his wife had given him during that, that period. 
And then the woman got up and spoke about juggling, you know, a family and a job and rushing from training and trying to fit in as many interviews as she could and helping out the next generation. And I was like, wow, now now that's inspiring. In a way, women's sport has actually changed my relationship a little bit with men's sport because just that commitment and that commitment to something that you love is something that I find really inspiring. Talking about, we've been talking about leadership essentially and, you know, you being a leadership, being a leader in your field and women sports players also being leaders. What what kind of leadership are we looking for going into the future? I mean, we stand at this point, it's such a, such a, in such a funny year in so many ways. Mm. Um, so, you know, what kind of leadership do you think we need going forward? Kate, I think we need leadership that is based on kindness and empathy. And it has been just such a joy watching Jacinda Ardern lead New Zealand, not just through this period, but over the last couple of years. And I think she has done a tremendous job in showing the value of kindness and empathy. And I think also, Kate, something that's really important is is listening. And what I loved so much about Australia's response when the pandemic first hit was that politics seemed to go out the window, you know, left, right, and we just wanted to do what people thought was best for the Australian public. And I, and I think that that is so important as well, listening and being open to different points of view, because particularly in politics, I think that that's something that's been lost a little bit. Um, it's all about the clickbait. It's all about getting that, um, oh, I think about Donald Trump and, you know, his, his short, witty statements that always get published on social media. We've lost the ability to talk about issues and to listen and learn from each other. And I think that that's going to be something that we really need in the future going forward. Do you think that's going to be a silver lining out of COVID, you know, all these changes that have come along? I mean, it's interesting listening to you talking about Jacinta Ardern with her qualities of kindness and empathy. Uh, I grew up in the UK where Margaret Thatcher was Prime Minister and it, rightly or wrongly, at that time, she had to be a very tough person mm. to be a Prime Minister. You know, I don't think it was there for her to be kind and empathic. Is that Has that changed, do you think? I don't think it's changed enough, Kate, but hopefully with some of the responses to this pandemic, that becomes something that is celebrated. And empathy and kindness, I think, are traditionally feminine qualities and that uh, potentially qualities that young boys haven't been given the opportunity to completely embrace. And it's something that I think about a lot. I don't have any children, but if I were ever to have a son, I think one of the things that I would teach him would be to feel all the feelings, kindness, empathy, sadness, anger, joy, um, because I think that's that's really fundamental to being a human being. Um, I want to finish up with talking about your favourite quote. I love it when people tell me what their favourite quote is because I think it's a really good insight into them. Yours is one by Theodore Roosevelt. Um, I wouldn't read it all out. It's long, but it's a great quote. So people listening, go and check it out. It is not the critic who counts, nor the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. What does that quote mean to you? That quote means so much to me. I think we were talking about social media before, and it speaks to me on that level in terms of listening to the criticism that you receive. It's so much easier to hurl abuse from the sidelines when the people inside the arena are doing the work. It speaks to leadership and being someone that shows up even when it's difficult. And I think also it um it speaks to living a full life. I think about the man in the arena getting up, you know, face marred by dust and it's someone that has worked really hard and stood up for what they believe in and, and that's something that I certainly want to do, not just now, uh, but throughout the rest of my life. Thanks for joining me for the Leadership Lessons, the female perspective you need for the decade ahead. 
This episode was produced by our amazing producer, Lisa Gebelagin. If you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast player and please leave us a rating. To find out more from us, visit womensagenda.com.au and I'm looking forward to hosting you in the next episode. Women's Agenda is proud to partner with Salesforce on this podcast series. As the world's leading CRM, Salesforce continues to be a different kind of Fortune 500 company, one that cares and gives back to the community, yet innovates like a startup. Equality is a core value at Salesforce and as a business, believes that its higher purpose is to drive equality for all. For more, visit salesforce.com.